this morning, we are in week three of our series on the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the ways that the the kingdom of God broke into the world through Jesus in ways that were unexpected and countercultural, in ways that no one imagined the kingdom of God would show up. When Jesus came into the world, he entered into a culture that had some really clearly defined ideas about what the Messiah would be like and about what the kingdom of God would look like when it arrived, right? We've been talking about this. The people in Jesus' time were expecting the Messiah to be a mighty warrior. They were expecting him to be somebody powerful, somebody influential, somebody who stood out in a crowd. They were expecting the Messiah to be somebody that they would be proud of, a leader that would represent them well amongst the other nations. And they expected that when the kingdom of God arrived, it would mean that the Romans, their oppressors, would finally be defeated. They expected that Israel would finally enter into that time of peace and of prosperity that God had promised them through the prophets, that time that they'd been waiting for. They expected that evil would be conquered and that wrongs would be set right and that goodness would finally win out. When John the Baptist came, preparing the way for Jesus, he drew in these huge crowds and he told people that he was preparing the way for somebody who was going to come after him, who was so great that he wasn't even worthy to carry his sandals. It seemed like everything was lining up, right, for the kingdom of God to come in with a bang. But when Jesus started teaching and going about his ministry, it very quickly became clear that there was a really big gap between what the Jewish people were expecting the kingdom of God to look like and the kingdom that that Jesus was proclaiming. When Jesus called his disciples, he didn't go out and handpick the brightest and the best in his society. Instead, he called fishermen, ordinary people, guys who would have been the middle to lower class in this society, just ordinary guys. He called Matthew, a tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors in this society. They were the lowest of the low. Everyone thought of them as thieves and traitors. Nobody wanted to be associated with tax collectors, except for Jesus. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking, the other disciples, when Jesus showed up with Matthew and introduced them to the rest of the gang? They might have been asking themselves some questions, wondering if they've really made the right call when they started to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't come in riding on a stallion to obliterate the enemies of the Jewish people. Instead, he taught his followers to love their enemies. He didn't associate with the prominent and powerful people in his community. Instead, he sat around tables, laughed, shared conversations with the outcasts, with the sinners. There was this really big distance between what people were expecting the kingdom of God to look like and the way that things were unfolding in Jesus' 
ministry, so much so that people were forced to make a decision about whether they were going to reject Jesus altogether, like many of the religious people did, or whether they were going to completely reimagine what the kingdom of God was going to look like and what God wanted to do in the world, what it was going to look like for him to redeem and restore all things. Matthew tells us that even John the Baptist had to wrestle through this. In chapter 11, John the Baptist sends messengers from prison to ask Jesus whether he really was the one they'd been expecting or whether they should keep waiting for someone else. Think about that. John the Baptist, this is Jesus' cousin. This is the guy who had been sent to prepare the way for Jesus and even he had moments where he looked around at what was going on and wondered whether (laughs) there was something he'd missed, wondered whether there was something he'd gotten wrong. And maybe you've had some of those moments in this past season Moments where you've looked around at the state of the world and wondered if the kingdom of God really is here. If God is really still on the move and active working in our broken world. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells some parables to help his followers kind of wrap their heads around the reality that things were unfolding differently than they'd expected. And that this didn't mean that God was off of his throne or that things had been thrown off course. It was actually just a reflection of the reality that the kingdom of God operates according to a whole other set of values from the kingdom of this world. Jesus came into the world that had been turned upside down by sin, and he came to turn it right side up again. And so last week we looked at the parable of the wheat and the weeds where Jesus acknowledged that until he comes again, good and evil will continue to coexist in the world. But that didn't mean that Jesus' followers should abandon their call to love and serve evil and take up arms and launch campaigns to try to eradicate evil. Instead, they were called to continue moving in the direction that Jesus had been leading them and to trust, to trust that God would one day come and set things right once and for all. This morning, we're going to look at two parables that are really short and really sweet, but are packed full of hope because they carve out a way forward for seeing what God is up to and joining him in his good work even in a world that was as broken and messy as the one that Jesus' first disciples lived in, and even in a world that is messy and as broken as the one that we're living in today. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up with me to Matthew chapter 13. And today we're going to be looking at verses 31 to 33. Three short and sweet verses. Now Matthew... Uh, introduces these parables just by saying, here's an illustration that Jesus used. But Luke contains these same parables as well. And there, when Jesus opens them up, he does it with a question. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? 
how can I illustrate it? And I think he, he did that on purpose to get his listeners to lean in and to start to think about what comes to mind for them when they imagine the kingdom of God. And so before we read the passage this morning, I'm gonna invite you to just take a minute to think about that question yourself. What comes to mind for you when you think about the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God like? How would you illustrate it? Here's what Jesus says, verse 31. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. So, a mustard seed probably wasn't the first thing that would have come to mind for many of the people who were standing there in the crowd that day listening to Jesus. But it's certainly something that they would have been familiar with. And in this culture, the mustard seed was known for being proverbially small. Okay, Jesus isn't teaching a botany lesson here. Okay, there are indeed other seeds that are smaller in the world, and a quick Google search will tell you that The smallest seed in the world is some sort of orchid. So if you're ever playing trivia, now you know. But in the same way that we might say that something is as slow as a turtle or as small as a mouse, mustard seeds were known for their small size and for the contrast between the size of their seeds and the size of the plant that they grew into, which was 10 feet tall on average. And the second image that Jesus uses here, we're going to keep going in the text, the second image will resonate especially well with any of you who got into that uh, sourdough starter craze during the early days of the pandemic. Verse 33, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the sourdough starter. (laughs) It's like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she, only, she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, what's interesting about this example is that yeast was usually used in this culture and throughout scripture to talk about evil. It was a symbol for evil and the way that evil can so subtly spread and corrupt. But here, Jesus says, evil is not the only thing that can start out small and then slowly and silently make its way throughout the world. God's goodness can work in the same way, quietly and discreetly spreading and bringing healing and restoration. Now Jesus says that the yeast gets worked through three measures of flour. And if you have the NIV translation, that Translation does the conversion work for us, so it says 60 pounds of flour. So I want you to take a minute to just picture that. Imagine 60 pounds of flour. It's a lot of flour. It's a lot of flour. So the measurement that Jesus uses here would have been enough to make uh, bread to feed over 100 people. It's a lot of bread. So again, there's this contrast 
There's a small amount of yeast that works its way through a massive amount of flour to make enough bread to bring anyone on the keto diet to their knees. So what is the point of these parables? How is Jesus trying to reorder the way that people look at the world? One of the beautiful things about the parables is that they're endlessly rich in meaning. You can hold them up and kind of turn them around and look at them from different angles. But this morning, we're going to look at three specific ways that Jesus is reorienting how his listeners think about the kingdom of God. Okay, and just to kind of have some fun and make it really cheesy, they're all going to start with the letter S. Okay? So the most obvious point of this parable has to do with size. Jesus came into a world where people expected that when the Messiah arrived, he was going to do something big. The the people in Jesus' time valued the same kinds of things that we value, really. Status, power, wealth, influence, popularity. And so naturally they expected that the Messiah was going to make sure when he arrived, that God's people would get to the front of the pack in all of these different areas. But then along came Jesus. And it was very clear that these things really just didn't matter to him. Actually, he was often warning about them, right? And how dangerous they can actually be for the human heart. Jesus didn't measure success in the way that we do. Mustard seeds are tiny. They're about one millimeter in diameter. If you passed by a mustard seed on the sidewalk as you were walking down the road, you wouldn't even notice it, right? You wouldn't even see it there. If you held up a mustard seed and looked at it without knowing what it was, you would never guess how much potential was packed inside of it. But when it's planted in the ground, it becomes a huge tree with branches that birds can come and take shelter in. What starts out small and insignificant grows into something bigger than what anyone could have imagined. And now it's tempting to read this parable as a zero-to-hero story. And we love those stories, right? We love the story of like an underdog rising to the top. And we can hear this as though Jesus is telling everyone that his His movement might not seem too impressive to start with, but eventually he's going to make sure that his followers rise to the top. But if that was what Jesus was trying to say here, he could have used a different uh, image, like a cedar tree, for example. Cedar trees in this culture symbolized greatness and strength. Instead, Jesus talks about a great big weed and a whole bunch of bread, These are not exactly symbols of intimidation. In the kingdom of God, growth and impact wouldn't come by force or by the exertion of power. Instead, they would come as the love of Christ reached into the deepest parts of people's lives and changed them from the inside out. And then people who had been transformed by God's love went out and spread the good news to others. In the kingdom of God, greatness isn't measured according to the rubrics of the world. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that God was doing something big through, through himself and through them, really. 
but that in the kingdom of God, greatness was going to take shape in a way that was different from what they were used to. And it was going to start with something small that was going to make a big difference. The second way that Jesus is reorienting the way his listeners thought about the kingdom through this parable was with respect to the speed. So S number two, speed, right? The speed at which God's kingdom was breaking into the world. I don't know how many of you have ever planted a seed and then pulled up a lawn chair and just watched and waited for it to grow. Anyone? Has anyone done that? If you have, you were probably sorely disappointed. I remember being a kid and planting seeds and just continuously checking them and just the utter agony of waiting for that first uh, shoot to spring out of the dirt. Waiting for a seed to grow requires a lot of patience. We live in a world where we put a really high value on efficiency. We want results and we want them fast. But Jesus was never in a hurry. Have you noticed that? He's never in a hurry. He's always taking the time to stop, to kneel down, to look someone in the eye, to have a conversation. He's always taking time to step away, to be alone, to pray, to be with his father. If anyone had a legitimate reason to live with the hustle mentality, it would have been Jesus. I mean, he was God incarnate. There was work to be done. There were people that needed to be healed. There was gospel that needed to go out. And he had limited time to do it all. But instead of rushing around, trying to cover as much ground as he possibly could, Jesus lived with a deep sense that God had things under control, that his father was working things out in his time, and that his job as his son was to be where his father told him to be and to do what his father told him to do. Dallas Willard was once asked by uh, a friend how to stay spiritually healthy. Many of you are probably familiar with Dallas Willard. He is a really influential writer and thinker. And this is what he said. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And his friend jotted that down in his notebook. And then he asked Willard for his next piece of advice. And Dallas Willard said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. That's a really good reminder in this season as summer starts to, dare I say it, as eventually summer is going to start to wear down. And we're going to start to think about what we want our lives to look like in September. You know, Jesus was never in a hurry. The Jewish people had been waiting generation after generation for the Messiah to show up. So really, we can't blame them, right, for wanting a warrior king to come in a blaze of glory and to set things up in one fell swoop. But that wasn't how it happened. Just as a mustard seed takes time to grow into its fullness and just as yeast needs to be slowly kneaded through an entire batch of dough, God's kingdom gets worked out in his timing, not in ours. Jesus made time for presence, for connection, to offer people real deep healing. He was never in a hurry. 
And the third way that Jesus was reorienting how people thought about the kingdom of God was with respect to their expectations about how much it was going to sparkle. Third S, sparkle. Now, when you're finding words that all start with the same letter, there's always one, right? There's always one that's a little bit of a stretch. But in Jesus' time and in our time today, as human beings, we are so prone to waiting around for God to show up in the extraordinary, in the exceptional, in the outstanding. But Jesus could not have chosen two more ordinary, mundane images to describe the kingdom of God. A mustard seed growing into a tree, a woman kneading yeast into a batch of dough to make bread. There was nothing extraordinary or exceptional about either of these pictures. They were things that happened every single day in this world. Actually, Jesus chose images that most people would have considered inappropriate to compare the kingdom of God to. Mustard plants were weeds. Jewish people were prohibited from planting them in their gardens because they would spread so quickly and take over everything else. And yeast is a kind of fungus. Jesus could, uh, he could have compared the kingdom of God to like small rivers flowing into a bigger stream or seeds blossoming into beautiful flowers, but instead he compared it to these ordinary everyday things that weren't even all that desirable in the world that he was living in, in the eyes of the world. And throughout his ministry, Jesus was always working through ordinary people in ordinary everyday interactions to do what only he could do. He didn't use pyrotechnics. He didn't show up for conferences and private jets. Instead, he simply showed up. He met people right where they were at. And he taught truths that spoke to the deepest questions of the human heart. He extended love to people that had never experienced it. He offered his healing. He restored people's hope. The kingdom of God is always showing up in ways and in places that we would least expect it in everyday, ordinary life. So, size, speed, sparkle. Through these uh, two simple parables, Jesus was calling his followers to reimagine what it looks like for God's kingdom to break into the world. Jesus was inviting them to look at the world through a new lens, through a kingdom lens, to see God working at an unhurried pace with incredible patience in the small and ordinary things to make an indescribable difference, to bring incredible transformation in people's lives. And over the last two and a half years, this parable of the mustard seed has been the passage of scripture that I've been coming back to again and again for hope in those moments when it seemed like the world was like a raging dumpster fire. Anyone had those moments? In the moments where it seemed like the challenges were too big and too hard to even know how to begin to address. And as I was thinking about this message, I was trying to figure out what it was about this parable that's made it feel so profound. Until suddenly it occurred to me, as I was shopping in Sobeys one day, it's a very inspiring place, you know. 
suddenly occurred to me that what makes this parable so powerful isn't that it's incredibly profound or complex. The thing that makes it so powerful is the fact that it's remarkably simple. God loves to use small and ordinary things to make a big difference in our lives and in the church and in the world. And in a season when it's felt like there are no answers or solutions adequate enough to address the challenges that people have been facing, in a season when it has felt like there's nothing we can do that will move the needle when it comes to addressing the conflict and brokenness in our world, this is very good news. Scrolling through the news headlines, it's easy to look at the world and to wonder if God's kingdom could possibly be found anywhere. Over the last two years, we've seen more conflict and polarization than we've ever seen before, at least in our lifetimes. We've seen people's lives being ravaged by sickness, by social injustice, by isolation, by mental health challenges. We've seen greed, we've seen selfishness, we've seen all kinds of evil tearing at the fabric of our communities. And of course, these things have always existed, right? But COVID just kind of exposed them and amplified them. Before COVID, I think that many of us believed the myth that humanity was on a steady path of improvement. We believed that through science and education and through social awareness, we were continually progressing and that the world was becoming a better place. But then... We saw how humanity responded when there was a toilet paper shortage. And all that optimism just went out the window, right? Really, really quickly. So what does it look like to be people who have eyes to see the ways that God's kingdom is breaking into our worlds? And how do we extend God's kingdom when it seems like nothing we can do will make any measurable difference to make the world a better place? What if Jesus' words here are true? What if they're true? What if he meant it? We might not have the resources available to solve the world's problems, but if the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, if it's like a little bit of yeast that gets worked through a batch of dough, then every moment suddenly becomes an opportunity to be a part of God's redeeming work in the world. Some of you know that I do uh, some relief work with a social service agency in Hamilton. It used to be my full-time gig, and I still go in occasionally for some shifts. And I work with folks who are dealing with mental health challenges and poverty and that kind of thing. And a little while ago, I went in for a shift, and I met with somebody who had recently uh, gone through a health crisis that had really impacted his mobility, really did a number on his body. And so he'd had a long stay in the hospital. He'd had to go through all kinds of physical therapy, and he was really just, uh, he'd just gotten home, he was just starting to rebuild his independence and uh, regain strength and that kind of thing. And so I expected that when I met with him, like, like any of us in his circumstances, that he'd be working through some very serious despair and discouragement. But instead, when I met with him, he seemed to have this peace this gentleness about him, this deep joy that I'd really never seen to this extent in this person before. And so I asked him about it. I said, you know, it seems like you're doing really well. It seems like you're feeling 
really hopeful about your recovery. How are you working through all of this? And he said, do you know what the biggest thing really was? Is the staff at the rehabilitation center seemed like they really liked their jobs. I wasn't expecting that. They seemed like they really liked their jobs. They seemed like they really wanted to be there and they cared about me and they wanted to see me get better. Think about that. When you go to work or when you go about your day-to-day life, whatever that looks like for you, do the people around you get the sense that you want to be there? Do the people that you're interacting with get the sense that you really care about them, that you want the best for them? Because this person had a support team that really cared about him, they were just doing their job, they were just going to work, but they gave the sense that they really cared. He was able to rediscover hope after having his life totally turned upside down in some really difficult circumstances. And then he went back home and he radiated that hope to everyone that he interacted with. I saw it. It was incredible. We might not have the capacity to solve all the world's problems, but we can spread hope to the people that God has surrounded us with, and we can trust him to use that to make a difference. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And what about in the church? There is no question that there is a huge distance between who God calls the church to be and the current state of the church in North America. And we could look at this from all kinds of angles, right? We could talk, we could talk about pastors in the headlines for being exposed and scandals. We could look at all of the division in the church or the ways that consumerism has seeped in and really gotten in the way of real, authentic discipleship. We could even look at our own church and where we were at before COVID and where we're at now and wonder if God is as present and active today as he was back then. But God doesn't measure success using the same metrics that we do. And he's not counting on any one of us to come up with a strategic plan to solve all of the problems in the church. Thank goodness. What he calls us to is faithfulness, is to be people who are faithful to him in small, ordinary decisions every single day, to be people who are growing in our love for him and in our love for others, and to be people who are just open to following him wherever he leads us, even if that means making sacrifices. And revival in the church will come when ordinary people who have given their lives to Christ see the world through a kingdom lens, see things as God sees them, and live in simple, responsive obedience to the Holy Spirit. And it's not just the problems outside of us and in the world and in the church that have been hard to know how to address. Most of us have had moments Uh, where we've been painfully aware of the gap between where we're at in our own lives and where we want to be. Whether that's at work or as parents or in the ways that we've been reacting to other people, responding when we check our social media pages or in our relationship with Christ. We've all experienced 
different kinds of loss and stress right, over the past couple of years, and that has taken a toll on all of us, and it's going to take some time to recover from that. One of my friends is a therapist, and he told me that one of the things he's been working through uh, most with people lately is navigating the increasing demands on, on us as we emerge from two years of uh, COVID restrictions and the lack of capacity that people are feeling to keep up with things like they used to. And so if you've been feeling that, you can know that you're not alone. It can be easy to look at the space between where we're at and where we want to be and to feel stuck or discouraged or frustrated. But God always meets us where we're at, not where we should be. And if the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, that means that we don't need to be able to map out the entire journey from where we are to where we want to go. We just need to take the next step in the right direction. So what are some small things that you can do this week to move closer to Jesus? What easy practices can you turn to throughout the day to be more in tune with the ways he's working in you and through you? How can you find moments in your day to reorient yourself towards God's love so that that's the well that you're drawing from as you interact with other people? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. God loves taking things that seem small and ordinary and using them to make a big difference. And every day, we have countless opportunities to reorient our lives towards the only one who can lead us into wholeness and healing. We might look at the circumstances in our world or in the church or in our lives and feel like things are beyond hope like the problems are too big, or like our resources are too small. But God can work through the tiniest, most ordinary things to bring about massive transformation, which means that there's always hope. There's always a way forward. Mother Teresa said this, there are no great acts, only small acts done with great love. And in the kingdom of God, it's love that makes all the difference. A little while ago, I was out for a bike ride on the trail with my nephew, Ethan. And after we had gone a ways down the trail, he turned around and he said, "Uh, on our our way back, I'm going to stop and go back. I'm going to get some of those purple flowers to take home for Nana. This kid can't go on the trail without collecting a fistful of weeds to take home to his grandmother. And I said, oh, did you see some purple flowers? I didn't see them. I was like, oh, was was there purple flowers back there? And he looked at me with like shock and disbelief. And he was like, you didn't see the purple flowers? I was like, no, I didn't see any purple flowers. He was like, how did you not see the purple flowers? And I wanted to say, listen, kid, you you don't pay bills. Like I'm an adult, I've got things on my mind. But instead, I said, I don't know, I don't know, I didn't notice the purple flowers. And he wouldn't let it go. Throughout the entire bike ride, he kept saying, I can't believe you didn't see the purple flowers. It felt like an assault on my capacity to experience wonder and notice beauty. I was very offended. 
And then finally, we turned around and we got back to the section of trail where he had seen the purple flowers. And sure enough, they were literally everywhere. There's hundreds and hundreds of purple flowers lining the trail. They were there. I just hadn't been paying attention. And so often we're so busy sitting around and waiting for God to show up in the big and in the extraordinary that we don't even notice the ways that he's moving in the small and in the seemingly insignificant circumstances of our day-to-day lives. But in our broken world that's filled with so much hopelessness and despair, God calls us to be people who see things through the kingdom lens, who notice the ways that God's moving in unexpected places, who see hope in every situation because we know that there's nothing too big or too hard for God, and who surrender every tiny opportunity and every moment of our lives to him, trusting that he can take what seems small to us, and with it he can do something greater than we could ever imagine.